praise God that Yeshua is a king who comes to us and makes his home with us. And uh, it says that, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord in Luke. And today, I'm excited to start a new series with you for the next four weeks called Doctor's Orders. And it's a pre-Passover series coming from the book of Luke. Luke was a doctor, and he used his skills as a doctor to research and examine Yeshua's life and his teachings. And what he found was that in the first century, those who have followed Yeshua and embraced his teachings experienced healing and shalom. And uh, today, as we look uh, at these scriptures in Luke, Yeshua's teaching can bring us healing and shalom today. I loved what Julian said about shalom, that God is going to destroy chaos and the works of the enemy. And so we're going to start a series looking at a few chapters in Luke leading up to the Passover. And we're going to look at the things that Yeshua said in the days leading up to the Passover in these few weeks where we're leading up to the Passover. And uh, in this four-part series, we're going to address some of the topics that Yeshua tackles and that he teaches his disciples during those final days leading up to the Passover. And one of the topics he tackles is how do we deal with a government especially when they ask us or demand of us things that we don't like. And uh, that may be how you're feeling this week with the headlines that have happened. A lot of changes over the past two weeks in what the government is asking or demanding of us. There's been a lot of different headlines. Uh, One of the positive headlines, I think, maybe a break from coronavirus things, is Tom Brady is moving to Tampa. Now, my go-to response, if you would ask me about Tom Brady, is I hate his guts. And, uh, but I got to respect, he's one of the best quarterbacks uh, of all time. Uh, but, and if you would ask me what I thought about the Bucks, I've never been a Bucks fan. But I might become a Tom Brady and a Bucks fan now. And one of the reasons why is I was talking to my friend Justin, and he said that Tom Brady is trying to do the impossible. He said uh, an NFL football team has never won the Super Bowl the year that they're hosting. If they host the Super Bowl, and they're in the Super Bowl, they don't win. It's never happened. But Tom Brady, he said, one of the reasons he's come to Tampa is he wants to change that. He wants to take on this impossible task. And in the passage we're going to look at in the book of Luke today, Yeshua takes on an impossible task. He's asked, do we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And let me give you some background before we look at that verse. In this passage, the religious leaders in Israel They're threatened by Yeshua, and they want to take him down. But Yeshua is super popular with the Jewish people in the land, and they know they can't get past that. The people, the public, they'll never let him take him. And so they know that the only way to take Yeshua out is to trick him and to trap him into saying something that's going to upset the government and make them think he's a revolutionary who wants to overthrow the Roman occupation. Or if they can trip trip him and trap him into saying something that's going to enrage the people so that they cancel him and so that he loses the protection of his popularity. And so the religious leaders in Israel, they gather together, the different parties come together for this common threat of Yeshua, and they send spies to ask him a question, an impossible question. And in Luke 21:31, it says, they asked him saying, teacher, we know that you tell it straight and you teach it straight. You have no partiality, but you teach the way of God according to the truth. They're like, you are a straight shooter. You're going to give us a yes or no answer. They're priming him for this. 
And so they say, is it permitted for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And even though it's a trick question, it's kind of a legitimate question. These spies are posing as ultra-Orthodox Jews who don't want to pay taxes. And they're saying, should we pay taxes to a government that's going to use that money and spend it on the occupation of the land of Israel? Should we give money in taxes that's going to be used to fund the luxurious lifestyles of the immoral, evil, imperial officials? Should we pay taxes that are going to be used to build pagan temples and maintain pagan temples throughout the Roman Empire? Should we spend money that's going to be used for stuff that we don't agree with? And to this impossible question, where if he says, don't pay taxes, he becomes a revolutionary who upsets the government. And uh, if he says, pay taxes, he's going to upset the Jewish people who hate these taxes. But he gives, he, this is an impossible task, an impossible question, but he gives a mic drop answer to this trap, trap question. It's not like the politicians we have today. So often, I, I like watching SNL video clips where they poke fun at our political process, and so often, if a moderator at a debate asks a tricky question, a hard question, they're going to try to slide out of it. They're going to try to slide just into a talking point of something they say for one of their campaign promises. They're going to maybe give some platitudes that sound nice but don't really tell us anything, or maybe they're just going to ramble and it means nothing at all. And Yeshua slides out of this tricky question without doing any of that. He gives an answer that for those who legitimately want to know how do we deal with the government, he gives truth that we can latch on to. And he says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what belongs to God. And before we unpack that to see, okay, why is that the case and how does that work, I want to take a step back and to say, okay, God, what's our overall posture and approach here? And at the end of Luke, Yeshua tells his disciples, he says, this good news needs to be proclaimed in every nation, starting in Jerusalem, going to the ends of the earth, and you are my witnesses. He says, you are my witnesses to the nations. He's saying, you are my ambassadors. And in this passage in Luke 20, they're going to come at him with some other trap questions, but he's going to remind them that these difficulties that they're facing in these trap questions don't work and they fall apart because they don't recognize that there is a world to come, that he is the King Messiah and he's going to bring the Messianic kingdom. And so what Yeshua is saying to his disciples and to all who would ask, how do we deal with the government? He's saying, if you're my disciples, if you're my followers, the answer to how to deal with the government is to live as ambassadors of the coming king. The first part of that, he says, is render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And those words that he uses in the Greek are the same words that Rabbi Paul uses in Romans 13, where he says, give taxes to who taxes are due, give tribute to who tribute is due, give respect to who respect is due, and give honor to who honor is due. And what he's saying is because you're ambassadors, you've been given a mission by Messiah, and we don't want to have as much as possible, as much as humanly possible, we want to have good relationships with the government so that nothing, we don't want anything, any legal battle, any struggle, we don't want anything to come up that would get in the way of our mission as ambassadors declaring the good news of the coming king. And so what that means is that we're not going to cause any issues for the, as much as possible in our relationship with the government, 
but we're going to respect and honor them even if they don't earn it, even if they don't deserve it. We respect and honor the government because ultimately we respect and honor God. And it's an expression of that. Because Yeshua goes on to say, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but then he says, but give to God what is God's. And so he tells them, show me a coin and whose image is on it. And they say Caesar's. And so he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But it begs the question, where do we find God's image? And the truth that the scriptures tell us is that we are made in God's image, that we belong to God. And so what Yeshua is telling them is that as ambassadors, that we're to honor the government that he assigns us to wherever he places us, wherever he puts us as an ambassador, whatever embassy where we're at, if we're part of Shresh David in Tampa and our embassy of the coming kingdom is in Tampa, that we want to honor the government around us, whether it's the city, the state, the national government. We want to honor the government he's assigned us to. But at the same time, we want to stay loyal to the one that we belong to. That we honor the government here, but we recognize that ultimately we belong to another kingdom, to another homeland, to another kingdom, and to another age, to the world to come. And Yeshua is saying to honor the government now, but to keep our loyalty first and foremost to the God that we belong to. And, but there's tension there because I think, okay, so we're supposed to honor the government, but what happens when they do something that's not right? Right, if God says, and Paul, Paul says in Romans 13, give respect and honor and submit to the government, and he's pretty absolute and adamant about it, well, what does that mean? Does that mean that God judges Rosa Parks for not moving to the back of the bus? How does this play out? How do we wrestle with this tension? And as I look at the scriptures, I see that we're supposed to give respect and honor to the government in every situation, no exceptions. But sometimes it's going to be okay to civilly disobey if we do it in a godly way. Now, I'm going to stop rapping, but there are going to be times where in a respectful, honoring way, God is going to have us to be a prophetic voice to the government and to the culture around us. And as I look at scriptures, I survey the scriptures, I see there are three times where it's okay to civilly disobey. That's kind of like a pun, a planned word. Civilly in the sense of civil disobedience, but also civilly, like with respect and with honor. And the first is that when the government requires us to do something that God forbids. We see in Daniel, I think it's chapter 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the king of Babylon raises up an idol and commands them to worship it. And they honor him, they speak to him in a respectful way, but they say, we cannot bow down to this idol. Same that Mordecai says during Purim to Haman, I cannot bow down, I cannot worship any other gods. So we see that the first time is when, the, if the government requires us to do something that God forbids, the second situation is if the government forbids us from doing something that, requ- that God requires of us. If you go later on in Daniel in chapter 6, they forbid people for 30 days from praying. And yet Daniel says, I have to honor God. Everything he says to the king is respectful and honoring. And yet he knows that he must continue to do what God has asked of him. And the third situation where it's okay to civilly disobey, I see in Esther and Purim. And this is kind of a a trickier situation. It's more of a gray area where Mordecai comes up to her and he says to her, I need you to go to the king because if you don't go, our people will be obliterated and annihilated. And she says, I can't go because the king forbids people from approaching him unless he requests your presence. I can't go to him. 
And yet, after she fasts for three days, she realizes that this is a situation where she needs to, in a respectful, honoring way, approach the king unsummoned and plead for the life of her people. The third case, the third time where it's okay to civilly disobey is where there's no other protection for the powerless. And so it's what Esther has to do in Purim, and it's what the Jewish midwives have to do when the king of Egypt says that they're to kill all of the male babies in the land. They have, there's no other protection for the powerless. And so they have to say, we'll obey God rather than man. But to do it in a way that's respectful and honoring. And that's the tension that Yeshua gives us to wrestle with. But what he reminds them in this passage is that you might have frustrations with the government. You might have frustrations and issues with lives. They come up to him with a difficulty with marriage and someone who gets married seven times because her husband's dying. And they try to trap him with, what do we do in the difficulties, the complex situations of life? And Yeshua's answer to them, his last thing he wants to give them as ambassadors is that as ambassadors, we care about things in this world, but we're not consumed by them. He tells them that there's a world to come. And so that ultimately, even though we die, we're going to be resurrected. And he says that Moses at the burning bush, he hears God say, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says, they're not dead, they're alive, because God is the God of the living. And so whatever we face in this world, Yeshua's reminder to us is that it's temporary, but there's a world to come. The symbol that I see in the burning bush, though, is that God doesn't, it's not that God doesn't care about what we go, what we go through. It was at the burning bush that God told Moses, I see the suffering of my people in Egypt, and I care, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to rescue them. It means that whatever we care about, God cares about too, but he doesn't want us to consume us because it's only temporary. There's a world to come where ambassadors are coming of a coming king. And the last thing that Yeshua tells in this portion is just like God promised Moses a deliverance for the Jewish people. He quotes King David, and where, where David says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for my feet. And ultimately what this means is that we can know that whatever we're going through today, ultimately Yeshua is, going to, is the coming king who is going to return to make things right. One day he's going to come to root out disease. One day he's going to come to bring an end to natural disaster. One day he's going to come and he's going to conquer all systems of oppression and evil and injustice. But right now he sits at the right hand of the Father. And as he does it, let's rem remind ourselves of these words that Rabbi Paul says in, in Colossians 3. He says, therefore, if you've been raised up with Messiah, keep seeking the things above where Messiah is, sitting at the right hand of God. Focus your mind on things above, not on the things of earth. Be consumed with the things above. For you have died and your life is hidden with Messiah and God. And when Messiah, who is your life, is revealed, you also will be revealed with him in glory. And Yeshua is saying that Yeshua is going to come later, but he's up in heaven right now, seated at the right hand of God. And for us, what that means is that our lives are secure with him. In a mystical, metaphysical way, to some degree, we have diplomatic immunity as ambassadors. There are consequences in this life, but there is nothing so devastating that it can destroy us because our lives are hidden 
and secure with Messiah in the heavenly place if we have died with him and if we had been raised with him. And so as ambassadors of Messiah, if you haven't put your trust in Yeshua, today is a day of invitation. It says Yeshua is going to come and he is going to conquer his enemies. But the good news is that Yeshua also died in the place of his enemies, that he bore the punishment that we deserve, that when we reject God and his standards of love and justice, when we become estranged from God, it's then that Yeshua died for us and took the punishment that we deserved. And because of that, if we trust in what Yeshua has done for us, he invites us to sit with him in heavenly places with diplomatic immunity where we can know that our lives are hidden and secure in God no matter what comes, even as we look forward to the day where Yeshua is going to return to restore all things. And in the meantime, we have this truth of Yeshua, these doctor's orders that can bring healing and shalom to our lives as we live in a fallen and broken world. God gives us this blessing. And as we meditate on this blessing, we can receive the erotic benediction, this blessing from God, as Rabbi Steve pronounces it over us and reminds us that our God is a God of shalom, even in the midst of the chaos that we have in this world. Shabbat shalom.